awaken. A familiar reality rushes in. I'm not confused by who I am or where I find myself, yet I am perplexed by the contrast with where I've just come from. I existed as much before awakening as I do now, but the two realities are utterly dissimilar. Wherever I was, I want to go back. I have a sense of unfinished business, like I was just on the cusp of some important revelation. Why can't I remember? It's gone. It's gone. But wait. No, there's a fleeting glimpse of it. It was like... It was like... God damn it, I lost it. I wonder if these dreams would re resolve themselves if given enough time. Suppose, for example, that the situations we find ourselves in when we are dreaming are important processes for creatively thinking through our problems. The detailed conditions of the dream, the particulars, might be analogs to something with which we must really contend. What if these dreams are valuable sources of insight and consolidation? If so, then the failure to dream effectively can contribute to m mental illness. Consider this. I've observed before, as of others, that the condition of modern life is totally alien and disconnected with the conditions of our evolutionary heritage. We are primates working in cubicles, queuing at bus stops and airports, blazing down the highway, galloping on the back of an iron buffalo in the midst of a stampede four lanes wide. This is madness. And there is so much choice, so much responsibility. Can't I just awaken naturally in my hut? surrounded by the huts of my kin, and go out hunting and foraging with my cousins? I look around me now and wonder, what kind of life is this? Where are my kin? Where is my bow and my spear, my canoe and my paddle? This phone, this car, this microwave oven, these implements of modern life are poor substitutes. I hate them. They make me nervous. Trapped in the bustle of civilization, I'm so lonely, so disconnected. I want to kneel upon the earth, to drink cold water from a clay vessel. What is this coffee mug in my hand? What does it say? World's greatest grandpa, follow your bliss, happy wife, happy life, go fuck yourself. I want to smash these mugs up with the fervor of a religious crusade, tearing down the false idols of its enemies. Calm down, man. It's just a cup of coffee. We'll feel better in a little while. Okay, I'm sure I had a point. Oh yeah, so it occurs to me that the resolution of dreams might be critical to mental wellness. What damage are we doing by waking up to a morning alarm day after day after day? We even call it an alarm. Wake up! Here they come! Dear God, they're here! Oh, the humanity! Alarm! Alarm! Oh, it's just this. False alarm again. I guess I'll get up and busy myself with things I don't want to do. But I swear I was just thinking about something important. What was it? Where was I? Never mind, these business meetings aren't going to sit through themselves. Another day worthy of contempt. I'm not lazy, I'm disappointed. And for the first half an hour I live with this ambiguous sense of unfinished business, a hangover from the world of my dreams. What are these dreams really? We generally assume that dreams are a sideshow, an interesting little part of conscious life, an exception to the normal state of wakefulness and activity. Today I'm going to explore an alternative view. But first, let's hear from Oliver Sacks in his book Hallucinations as a way to get into the topic. In this passage, Sacks talks about hypnagogic hallucinations, which are vivid images that most people occasionally see before falling asleep. I have had these experiences before, and in my case, as in many cases, they're faces. I'm lying there with my eyes closed, and I see, really see, 
vivid faces appearing in the darkness. Sometimes they are grotesque, like old men carved in stone. Sometimes they're beautiful. But they are never people that I have seen before can recognize at all. These faces appear to me and persist for seconds before changing into new faces. Sachs writes, quote, Most hypnagogic images are not like true hallucinations. They are not felt as real, and they are not projected into external space. And yet they may have many of the special features of hallucinations. They are involuntary, uncontrollable, autonomous. They may have preternatural color and detail and undergo rapid and bizarre transformations unlike those of normal mental imagery. There is something about the rapid and spontaneous transformations specific to hypnagogic imagery that suggests the brain is idling, as my correspondent Mr. Utter suggested. Neuroscientists now tend to speak of default networks in the brain which generate their own images. Perhaps one may also venture the term play and think of the visual cortex playing with every permutation, playing with no goal no focus, no meanings. A random activity, or perhaps an activity with so many micro-determinants that no pattern is ever repeated. Few phenomena give such a sense of the brain's creativity and computational power as the almost infinitely varied, ever-changing torrent of patterns and forms which may be seen in hypnagogic states. Although Mavromatis writes of hypnagogia as the unique state of consciousness between wakefulness and sleep, he sees affinities with other states of consciousness, those of dreams, meditation, trance, and creativity, as well as the altered modes of consciousness in schizophrenia, hysteria, and some drug-induced states. Although hypnagogic hallucinations are sensory, he feels that the initiating processes may be the more primitive subcortical parts of the brain, and this too is something which hypnagogia may share with dreams. And yet the two are quite distinct. Dreams come in episodes, not flashes. They have a continuity, a coherence, a narrative, a theme, one is a participant or a participant observer in one's dreams, whereas with hypnagogia one is merely a spectator. Dreams call on one's wishes and fears, and they often replay experiences from the previous day or two, assisting in the consolidation of memory. They sometimes seem to suggest the solution to a problem. They have a strongly personal quality, and are determined mostly from above. They are largely top-down creations. In contrast, hypnagogic imagery or hallucination with its largely sensory qualities, enhanced or exaggerated color and detail and outlines, luminosity, distortions, multiplications, and zoomings, and its detachment from personal experience is overwhelmingly a bottom-up process. Hypnagogia and dreaming are both extraordinary states of consciousness, as different from each other as they are different from waking consciousness." Unquote. In that last statement, it's that that I want to reconsider. Sachs describes dreams as extraordinary states of consciousness. Of course, that seems like the way we would tend to conceptualize them, but what if they are not extraordinary at all? What if dreaming is the best description we could use for every state of consciousness? I am, that is certain, said Descartes, but what am I? A thinking thing? Perhaps I'm a dreaming thing. And just as Descartes found this to be irrefutable evidence of his existence, so can we, for if we dream, then we must exist. I can feature in your dream, and you can feature in mine. But when you dream that I am there, and we are on some adventure together, you that dream certainly exist. But that is not evidence that I do. I am not the thing in your dream, no matter the apparent resemblance. Here, you might argue, is the key difference between dreaming and wakefulness. The dream features that which is not there, while the waking experience reveals what is. I respectfully disagree. Both dreaming consciousness and waking consciousness are composed of what is not there. 
The texture of cloth in a dream is no less real than the texture of cloth between the fingers when we are awake. Both are figments of the mind. The color of the cloth in the dream is just as imaginary as the color which appears when the eyes gaze upon it in the sober light of day. Am I denying reality? Am I suggesting that there is no difference between being in the presence of a real cloth and being in the presence of a dreamed one? No, I'm not saying that. In both cases, our experience is something which occurs in the brain and nothing more. We hope, or at least assume, that in the waking case our imagined cloth is informed by the presence of a real material object. But I'm feeling it with my real fingers, I'm seeing it with my real eyes, you retort. No, you are not. The feeling of things with your fingers is an event in your somatosensory cortex, not an event out there in the real fingers. Likewise, I submit in the dreaming case. A similar event is occurring as you sleep, right there in the same place in the somatosensory cortex. This is true for vision as well. Seeing is not an event that occurs at the eye, but one which takes place in the visual cortex. The way I look sitting before you, in the same room, under the full spotlight of waking consciousness, is contrived in your visual brain. Does it reflect the truth? Well, I hope so, but in some ways it couldn't be. If we tamper with the fusiform face area of your brain, if we inhibit its function or cut it out with a scalpel, you will not recognize me or anyone else. What, I inquire, has changed? Me? I am the same. The photons which fall on your retina? No. The action potentials which travel from the eye along the optic nerve? No. The response to those action potentials when they stimulate the primary visual cortex? No. All of that is the same. A further process which is meant to take place in the fusiform gyrus is not doing its job. That place in your cortex is where faces are born. The following, again from Oliver Sacks' book, supports my point. Remember when I said that I've experienced hypnagogic hallucinations of faces? Well, that's what this passage is about. Sacks writes, quote, Many other descriptions stress how common it is to see faces, sometimes clusters of faces, with each face highly individuated but unrecognizable. F.E. Leaning, in her 1925 paper on hypnagogia, speculated that such an emphasis on faces almost suggests that there is a special face-seeing propensity in the mind. Leaning's propensity, we now know, has its anatomical substrate in a specialized portion of the visual cortex, the fusiform face area. Dominic Fitch and his colleagues have shown on fMRI studies that it is precisely this area in the right hemisphere which is activated when faces are hallucinated." Unquote. I suggest that waking consciousness and dreaming consciousness are no different in kind. What then is the difference between waking consciousness and dreaming consciousness? At the very least, there must be a difference between the streams of data passing through the brain when the eyes are open and the body is moving about in space. We know that the frontal cortex, which is involved in voluntary movement and many cognitive and attentional processes, is suppressed during REM sleep when dreams usually occur. So the capacity to reason and control attention is certainly enervated in dreams. We also know that the primary visual cortex is suppressed. This is the area where the optic pathway arrives from the retina. When we sleep, we cease getting visual information from this pathway, but our dreams are populated with visual images nevertheless. This is because the primary visual cortex, V1, is not necessary for visual experience. To be sure, we are blind without V1, but cortical blindness of this sort does not prevent us from having visual experiences in the form of hallucinations and dreaming. The following is from Christoph Koch's book, The Quest for Consciousness. Quote, From an experiential point of view, dreams are full of the sights and sounds of life. While dream consciousness differs from consciousness in the waking state, for instance, dreams lack introspection and insight, 
It certainly feels like something to dream. It is likely that the neuronal coalitions that mediate the NCC for visual dreams partially overlap with those for seeing while awake. It used to be thought that brain activity during REM sleep was similar to activity in the waking brain. REM sleep is also called paradoxical sleep because it can't readily be distinguished from the awake state using standard EEG criteria. This contrasts with non-REM sleep, or slow-wave sleep, characterized by large and slow oscillations in the EEG. When volunteers are deprived of sleep for one night and their cerebral blood flow is monitored using positron emission tomography, while they catch up on their sleep the next night, a more nuanced picture emerges. The activity pattern of the dreaming brain has a unique signature quite distinct from the awake brain. In particular, V1 and directly adjacent regions are suppressed, while higher level visual areas in the fusiform gyrus and the medial temporal lobe are highly activated. These latter structures can thus be assumed to mediate the sensation of seeing events unfold during dreams. Patients who lose their primary visual cortex to strokes continue to experience visual dreams, providing additional evidence that activity in V1 is unnecessary for dreaming." Unquote. I wonder if you could influence the content of dreams by targeted transcranial magnetic stimulation during bouts of REM sleep. It seems certain that such an experiment should work. What about delivering intravenous drugs during REM? For example, would subjects report having anxiety dreams if you treated them with barbiturates or other acute anxiety-reducing agents? The reason I'm suggesting such experiments is that if my hypothesis is right, the experiences we are having during dreaming are made the same way as those had during waking hours. The passage I just read from Christoph Koch says that the activity seen on EEG during REM sleep looks very similar to wakefulness. The thalamocortical function which we capture on EEG is largely spontaneous firing rather than stimulus-driven. Is the same spontaneous activity going on all the time while we are awake? And if so, why don't we hallucinate? I have a guess. Have you noticed that it's often impossible to explain a dream to someone else or even to recapture it in your imagination after you wake up? Internally, that is, within the logic of the dream, the episode is coherent and meaningful. Something is happening and you are a part of it. There is something which needs to be done. The situation is intense and often emotional. It all makes sense and it matters. Then you wake up. It can be quite an unsettling feeling, a feeling that something important is unresolved and drifting out of your grasp. The continuity of your being hasn't really been broken. A moment before, the conditions were totally different. There's a kind of blankness in between as a state transition takes place. Now here you are in a new state under a new set of circumstances. What is this new state? Another dream? In this dream, I'm in my bed and the alarm clock is annoying me. My eyes are open. I can hear what is happening. It all makes sense, but so did the dream from which I just emerged. But here's the interesting thing. The present dream, the waking dream, is incompatible with the previous dream, the one from which I have awoken. I can't make sense of both worlds at the same time. I have consistently claimed that human consciousness must be coherent. In an earlier episode on the topic, I wrote the following. Quote, According to the TICL framework, human consciousness is composed of meaningful contents that exist from the point of view of a single, large, integrated system in the thalamocortex. Subsystems occurring within the large system are integrated across their neuronal elements to a higher degree, over a shorter time, than the elements that make up the whole system. These subsystems give rise to the contents of consciousness, which appear in the conscious composition as soon as they form, and remain for as long as they persist in having a higher degree of temporally integrated causality than the greater system. This means that the level of temporally integrated causality 
across the greater system sets a threshold for conscious perception. This podcast has focused on visual perception because so much research has been carried out in the visual system. With regard to the visual component of the human experiential landscape, the Necker cube and binocular rivalry suggests that the organization of the cortex prohibits the coexistence of two objects in the same space and time. The landscape is coherent with regard to spatial representation. I hypothesize that this occurs because two subsystems cannot both occupy a common spatially mapped network. One of the two will always outcompete the other, such that only that subsystem will exist to occupy that area of the network. Whichever subsystem achieves this will produce visual content that is meaningful from the point of view of the system. The other will be relegated to background noise. I do not suggest that this is the way consciousness must work, but rather that this is the way that natural selection has sculpted the human thalamocortical system." Unquote. In the context of today's discussion, I hypothesize that the two realities, the dream and the waking reality, are incompatible just as the two conformations of the Necker cube are incompatible. They can't coexist in the visual imagination. I can't make sense of the dream I was having from within this reality because the geometry of the current subsystems is utilizing the same cortical infrastructure that the former subsystems were using. The system is continuous, so my point of view upon content is continuous, but these contents are structured completely differently than the others. Meaning implies relativity. The previous meaningful contents were only meaningful within that former arrangement. It has all fallen down like a house of cards and I'm left with only traces of memory and emotional valence. This is a lot like how people describe tripping on DMT. And why not? Everything made sense within the structure of the psychedelic state. Without that structure, there's no sense to be made of it. Just a vague and hollow description can be attempted. It fails utterly to capture the experience. It comes across as banal like the boring retelling that one time or another we've all tried to make when we've shared a dream experience with someone else. I guess you just had to be there.